You're listening to episode 22 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Junior Orr. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I am proud and honored to bring you an interview with Junior Orr, who is a player that I've known since he was around seven years of age. I first met him at the Aspen Hill Club in Silver Spring, Maryland, and I had the pleasure of actually teaching in some of the summer camps when I was around like 17 or 18, and Junior was playing in there in those camps, and I remember him just crushing people who were 10, 20, 30 years older than him in the club when when he practiced. And he, you know, from a young age, we all knew that he would be a great player, Uh, He was extremely passionate about tennis, probably one of the most passionate and dedicated players that uh, we had seen at the club, Um, always practicing training. And he has taken that passion for the game and turned it into a professional career. He did a great job uh, in the juniors, consistently being a top-ranked player. Um, Then he went on to Texas A&M and had a great career there. And now he uh, just recently went full-time on the professional uh, tour, and he plays a lot of uh, Futures events currently, and he's ranked around 1,000 in the world. Um, but we, uh, we know he's going to do extremely well um, because of his mindset and his dedication, and you'll also get a sense of that in the interview by the way that uh, Junior talks and uh, you know thinks about the game, and you're going to learn a lot of great tips and insight really on what has been helping Junior to succeed and do so well. Uh, in particular, you're going to learn uh, a, a huge tip on how to improve your serve, um, which is something I'm excited and going to implement immediately. And you're also going to learn about how he is able to separate himself from the rest of the pack, if you will, to propel him to success. And uh, you're going to just have a great time uh, learning his perspective on tennis in general. And I think you're going to really enjoy the interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with tennis pro Junior Orr. Hey everybody, we're here with Junior Orr, who is uh, an amazing professional tennis player who I have uh, had the pleasure of knowing uh, since he was about eight years old. Uh, Junior used to play at the same tennis club that I did and uh, used to teach in the summer camps where he played. And uh, last week he was able to teach me a thing or two about how to play the game. Uh, you know, he's He's been grinding the uh, USTA Pro Circuit for, has it been uh, a year, Junior? No, I mean, I just started really going at it for, uh, since September, so almost about a year. Oh, awesome. And and Junior is just you know, a fantastic player, and he was a stud at Texas A&M University. Um, but Junior, I just want to welcome you to the Tennis Files podcast, and I really appreciate uh, your time. 
No, man. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. Oh, no worries. No worries, Junior. And so I just want to jump into uh, the, your background and just ask you, how did you first get your start in tennis? Well, my grandfather, it, always, it goes back to my grandfather. Um, he was always into the sport. Um, he's the one that really started me. And yeah, it was basically just, it was my grandfather that really put me into the sport of tennis. Yeah, I mean, I want to give big props to your grandfather, who uh, my father and I have talked to on a few occasions, and uh, he was just very devoted to your tennis. And I remember him, I think he was like, I think he fed you, it was soybeans or maybe a soybean shake or something, <laughs> but he, he, you know, you know, just to make no, sure you, you had all the energy you needed. That's funny that you actually remember that. Um, yeah, that's exactly what he did. He gave me uh, soybeans. Every morning or every time he saw me, he always gave me a shake of soybeans. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that I think that really helped you out. Um, yeah, it did. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And so, you know, at what age did you kind of commit to playing tennis seriously where you thought to yourself, like, you know, this is the sport that I, that I want to play and pursue? Um, I mean, when I was five years old, that's when I, when I really thought I really could do it with tennis. Wow. Uh, that's what my – yeah, me – my grandfather just put me into the sport of tennis like when I was since I was three. Um, just played in the basement. That's how I started off, and I don't know. We just really went after it. He always sent me, uh, showed me videos of Sampras and Agassi. So I really wanted to be just like them. So ever since I was five, I was fully committed. Wow! And do you have any idea where your grandfather's passion for tennis came from? Yeah, I mean, it was one day in Peru. Like he was living in Peru. He was about twenty-five years old. He was working at a bank. He was, he grew up a soccer player. You know, he was really good at soccer. My dad was actually a professional soccer player or was about to be in Peru, a professional soccer player. So um, he saw the sport way later in his life, you know, just people, country club members playing it, and he just really liked it. And I think he just picked it up, and that's he, that was his passion ever since. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and Junior, so um, what was your first – tournament experience like like talk about you know what age did you first start competing and then you know like if you have memories of of that tournament oh yeah i always think back to it uh when i was six years old um that's when i played my first tournament it was at eight and under as co-ed and i just remember getting to the finals and i played a kid that was obviously two years bigger than me and had more experiences crushed me eight oh eight oh so yeah but no, it was, that was the first time I, my first tournament, I just got to the finals. It was a fun time. Nice. And so what was your feeling after that uh, tournament, even though, you know, you had a tough loss? Like, did you, were you motivated or were you kind of down after that? Or what was your feeling? I hated second place. Uh, when nice. I looked at the trophy, uh, I didn't like to see number two. I always wanted to see number one. So, I mean, that, that motivated me to, to get to number one. And the next thing you know, I ended up being number one. So... That's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's one of the biggest character traits that a successful tennis player has. You've got to be competitive. So, For sure. So that really pushed you and drove you toward that. So, yeah, and as I mentioned, you know, I remember you at the Aspen Hill Club uh, training uh, with, with Jeff Klein, uh, one of the guys yeah. that coached you. And I also remember you playing a club member. So when you were like nine, you were beating up on this guy, a very nice guy named Rich, I think. And uh, it was just funny to, to see you, you know, playing a 
grown up guy and and beating him uh, that was pretty cool but um yeah, i just want to you know obviously give a shout out to aspen hill and 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 if yeah. you could talk about like your experience um training at the aspen hill club oh man there's uh aspen hill is one of the best places to be man i mean i just remember <laughs> norma baker yes. you know she mother of marianne baker she she treated me like uh, like I was her son. Like I I was going through a couple things when I was younger, and she just you know took me in as a family member. And I think that was a really big part of my success moving forward. She really she really embraced me as a person, really embraced me as a player. And I think because of her, I am where I am today. And obviously Jeff Klein and and Tomas, you know those guys, and all all the you know all you older guys watching you guys play. You know, I mean, I remember, I remember watching you play. I was like, "Dang, dude, this guy's sick!" Like, I remember <laughs> that. You know, watching you play, watching the other guys play, like the good wins, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Dang, these guys are these guys are cool." I want to be like these guys. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and you know, we're all just extremely proud of you and everything you've accomplished and continue <laughs> Thanks, to accomplish. Man. And it's just, uh, you're sick now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, no worries. And so, I'm curious about. You know, because obviously a um, big part of the game is developing juniors and stuff. So I was wondering, yeah. you know, how many hours a week do you remember taking lessons, I guess private lessons, and then did that kind of increase or decrease as you got older? Um, the private lessons, I think it's pretty much the same, you know. Um, one or two hours maybe, you know, with the coach. I mean, he doesn't really – I don't really believe that you need that much time alone with the coach. I just believe that maybe once – every couple days and just work on the stuff in the clinics with the other big guys, you know, just work on your stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the coach is going to be there at the clinics as well, you know, so you're still getting watched over. I don't know. I just, uh, every couple days, I think, or maybe even sometimes every day, but uh, maybe just like once, like one hour, you know? Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, that, that sounds perfectly reasonable. Yeah. And so I know you did eventually transition to the Junior Tennis Champion Center, which is uh, obviously one of the top facilities for juniors to train at. And so, uh, what what age did you start training at JTCC? I started training. I started switching over when they first opened, when it was a uh, nineteen ninety nine, I think. Wow. So how old was I? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was like what? Like I was like seven, eight. Oh. I was like yeah, like like eight or nine, like eight or nine, somewhere around there, and. um I just remember I was hitting with like you know guys like Billy Mertz. Yes, yes. Yeah, That's I remember good. I hit with them for the first time when I was there, and I was like, "Dang, hi, this guy's got a massive forehand. I really got to pick it up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now you bring up a great point about how you, it's great to surround yourself with great players and older players because then you see kind of what you have to improve in your game to get to that next level. Um, so for sure, yeah, fantastic. And, uh, you know, I'm familiar with a couple of coaches at JTCC. I always like to tell people how you know, Vesapunko would never let me drink a glass of water and he'd always like tell me feet moving and I felt like I was going to get a heart attack. But uh, that was one <laughs> yeah. lesson. Um, but sure. uh, yeah, but I was, I'm curious, like kind of who coached you over there at JTCC? Uh, first, when JTCC first opened, uh, rest in peace. Uh, do you remember Jason? I, I do, yeah. Jason, uh, was it Rainier, I think? Yeah, yeah. He was my coach until he passed away. Then I went to his good friend, uh, Frank Salazar, who who obviously worked with uh, Kudla as well. So that was that's who coached me at my time at College Park. 
Yeah, no, those are definitely great coaches. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think Frank was a previous junior number one, or I, I believe. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it's it's pretty sick. But so, when did you first start getting ranked, kind of at the top of your age division? Was it like pretty much like from the eights on, or like when was that? Well, I was always like pretty high in the rankings of like my age groups, like starting with the state. You know, I used to play like those little satellites from like, you know, was it Sal de Oliva or? Yes. Yes. I just saw him the other day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember playing his tournaments and I would always end up being number one, number one, you know, and I, those guys were like two years older than me. So then I switched over playing mid Atlantics and I ended up being number one there. And then I started playing nationals. So, I mean, the highest ranking I was, was what nationally on 12s was five. Hmm. And then once I, once I hit five in the nation when I was 12 that's when I knew that I could really do something uh, pretty fun with the sport you know yeah no and and did you ever have a two-handed backhand or did you always have the one-hander no uh, I switched over to the one-hander when I was when I was 13 I had a two-hander before um, I remember I used to fool around with it at Aspen Hill because mm-hmm. I saw Goodwin hit it Michael Goodwin. Right. And I was like, dang, maybe I could do the same thing too. <laughs> you know? So then I tried to show off a little bit. And Tomas at the time was like, all right, try to try it out. So I tried out. But I switched over after this 12 Super Nationals, this last one I played. I beat Bjorn Fantangelo nice. for, for fifth and sixth place. And um, I showed off to Martin Blackman. Mm-hmm. And I went back to College Park. I had, like, I had Frank, Vesa, Martin. Oliver Ali had all those guys check me out, and I switched when I was 13. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's obviously really tough for uh, juniors, you know, so you're developing physically and mentally, you know, to deal with some of the pressures and, you know, staying at the top. So I'm wondering if you can remember, what was one of the biggest obstacles you faced as a junior player, and how were you able to overcome that obstacle? Well, the biggest one for me in the juniors was switching to a one-hander. Hmm. Um, because at the time, my two-hander was my best shot. Like I could, hmm. I could do a lot of things with my two-handed backhand. Obviously, I was able to use my right hand, and I was a little bit weaker. Hmm. So the transition of switching to a one-hander really affected me that whole year. Because I was losing to guys I'd never lost to. Right. Like I, I had to develop other weapons to avoid you know, trying to hit over the backhand. And I had to use more like different shots, like the slice backhand. I had to use a backhand volley, you know, instead of just, you know, ripping backhands wherever. But um, I think that was the toughest part of my junior career was switching to a one-hander. And what kept you on that path? Because, you know, sometimes if you're losing to people who you uh, used to beat, then you, you might question yourself and that choice. Well, it was it was actually the supporting the supporting coaches, the supporting staff around me. Frank Salazar was always on it. I, I always kept saying, no, that's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to switch back. And Vesa was like, over my dead body, you're going to switch back. You're going to stick to that one-hander. So, I mean, I gutted it out. And thank God I gutted it out because if I, I don't know if it's right to say, but I feel like I was a little bit more marketable when I stayed with the one-hander. And mm-hmm. a year later, the tournament that I lost first round at, I actually ended up winning the 14 Super Nationals in Austin, Texas. And I actually ended up getting an Adidas sponsorship right off the bat right there. Wow. That's pretty yeah. sick, man. I was pretty, um, yeah, yeah, I got yeah. lucky there. <laughs> you know, if you would have got Under Armour, you could have got the new uh, Chef Curry shoes. Those are pretty, 
pretty nice. Yeah, no, those things are pretty popping right now. <laughs> I wish I wish I could go back and go to Under Armour. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. It yeah, is solid. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, Junior, it's hilarious. But what is um, your fondest match or tournament experience uh, as a junior? What was it? There's, I have two moments that were pretty profound for me. It was a time where I just switched, like I said. And uh, a year later, I won the 14 Super Nationals in Austin, Texas. Right. And able to switch and able to get Adidas. And then later on in my career, uh, the French Open. When I played Junior French Open, I I never look at the draws. I was just happy to be there. You know, just, oh, dang, I'm in my favorite Grand Slam of my life and I'm here. And it's it was sick, you know. I ended up playing the number one player in the world at the time. He won French Open Juniors the year before. So I'm playing the defending champ first round. And I'm just like, oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, I actually I actually came out and I won. And I actually got the attention of a lot of guys at the time. Like, I don't, like it was kind of weird because I would be walking after I won the match. There was like 300 people surrounding me, like asking for autographs. There's a lady that came up to me saying, oh, come to the newsroom. We're going to interview you. Hmm. Then I, next thing I know, I see Annie Murray just eyeing me down, wow. tersing off. You know, they were talking. They were just looking at me. And I was just like, whoa. And I actually got the attention of Uncle, Uncle Tony. Hmm. So, like, I caught a lot of eyes at the French Open. That was actually pretty – that was a pretty awesome moment in my life. <laughs> yeah, no, congrats on that. It's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, Uncle Tony must have been kind of worried, you know, another uh, lefty <laughs> doing well on the French yeah, – in the French. So – <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's pretty sick but um yeah and you know the other day i was actually talking with tim Hahn, who's a owner of sports world um mm-hmm. and you know son's a good player and you know i i mentioned him how like you basically like served everyone off the court including myself obviously you have an amazing <laughs> serve um Thanks, yeah sure it's huge and and he did mention that you um kind of change it up a bit i'm not sure if it's either the toss or just hitting it at the apex but d- when did you do that was that like right before college well let's just say after the u.s open juniors because i wasn't winning the grand slams i felt like i needed a drastic change hmm. i felt like just grinding you know spinning the ball around playing mostly defense wasn't going to work for me so i felt like i needed a new approach so i went down to this guy down in tampa um, his name is Steve, Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the father of Connor Smith mm-hmm. that went to Ohio State. And um, <laughs> this guy, he gave me, let's say, he gave me a lot of parenting. He said, whoa, well, the way you hit the ball, you're going to need to work at a Safeway or a Giant. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, and I was, and I was at, at the time, I was top 20 in the world. You know? <laughs> so it was kind of shocking to hear that. I mean, they have good benefits, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so when I heard that, I was like, okay, so this guy must – you must see something. So he's the guy that really changed my serve motion, my approach to the tennis game, um, my strokes, my volleys, everything. Just and he's he made me more analytical hmm. to uh, how to play the game and especially the serve motion. So all it all started with that guy. So all thanks to him for the serve, really. And then Steve Denton, obviously, you know, worked on it as well during college. And then the guy I'm working with right now, Chip Hooper. Pablo Raya, they're both they were both top thirty ATP. Those are the guys I'm working with, and we're just still working on the serve. Wow! If you could possibly, I know you don't want to give away all your secrets, but like maybe one like um, 
one big concept about the serve that has helped you a lot uh, to, you know, make it as good as it is today that you could share with the audience, perhaps? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Thanks. the way I got my serve, so I used to serve at like, my first serve would be at what, at 109, 105, mm-hmm. just kicks or whatever. Then I, then three months later, I'm hitting 125, 130. Mm-hmm. Um, my, well, it's not really a secret. What I basically did was I would get like a long, you know, a regular tennis sock, not an ankle sock, but like a long sock and I'd put it, I'd stuff a tennis ball in there. Mm-hmm. And I literally, Steve Smith would put me in front of a mirror or even before I go to sleep and he would work on my serve. I would have to work on my serve motion with the, the ball in the sock. So mm-hmm. if the ball ever hit me at any point and if the ball is not moving constantly, like with rhythm, then my serve was off. Like the rhythm was bad. So I basically just had to work on my rhythm on the serve with a sock. And if it ever hit my back, then it was wrong. If it hit me in the head, it was wrong. If it hit me, you know, anywhere. So it just had to be one fluid motion and just being loose. And that was, that was, a, that's what changed my serve was the sock and the ball. Wow. Wow. No, that we really appreciate that. You probably, um, help a lot of people out with that tip. So, I mean, you basically just like would use a sock and ball and, you know, and just practice the motion. Then you would just go out on the court with your racket and then just do the same thing, right? And help your rhythm out. Yeah. I, I had to do that for like at least an hour a day. Wow. If not more. Wow. Well, I know what I'm going to be doing after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, Cause, you know, I mean, just the serve is just, uh, I mean, we all know this, but it's the most important stroke. I mean, you're serving half the time and, I mean, you can have a lot of free, easy points that way, and I mean, it's just yeah, so, sure. so huge. Um, so yeah, that's 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 amazing. Um, so junior, I, I'm curious too. Obviously, you had a lot of success in the juniors. You you beat the world number one at the French. Um, incredible. So, did you ever think about going pro instead of uh, to college? Yeah, I mean, my whole lot, my whole time I was a junior, I never thought of college. I actually always thought of going pro, going pro. People around me, you know, would tell me pro, pro, pro. Um, there wasn't any doubt in my mind I was going to go pro. Like, I always thought that. Hmm. So, I mean, me going to college was pretty much last second. Right. Um, yeah. But Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, but what, in the end, so what made you decide to go to, uh, to college, uh, to Texas A&M um, versus turning pro? Well, at the time, I when I told you like I was changing up my game style, mm-hmm. um, the coach said, the coach I worked with before, Steve Smith, he said, "Oh, why don't you go to why don't you go to college and work on the things rather than lose on the tour and you know constantly have to pay, you know right. why not take why not take the scholarship and work on the things that I need to rather than you know because I was getting offered like you know." octagon at the time was offering me like the agency company right they're offering me to like go sign pro with them you know they would pay for the expenses and stuff but mm. um without a doubt that was probably the best decision i ever made was going to college and working on the things that i need to nice yeah nice yeah no i mean i think you made a great decision you know you get the education to fall back on in the future and then i mean there's been a lot of great players who Went to college, obviously. I mean, the most um, obvious one right now, I guess, is um, John Isner, and then That's for sure. know, Dev is yeah, you know, been pretty done pretty well, and then obviously our our friend Tread Huey from our section, he's doing great <laughs> in doubles. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and then uh, Johnson. Yeah, that's right, Steve Johnson. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic. And so, can you describe kind of what your first year was like playing for Texas A and M? Well, let's just say that was a uh, first off. Texas A and M is completely different from our area. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it was a complete culture shock. Hmm. I had everyone coming up to me saying "Howdy." Ah. everyone being really nice it was really country nice you know i mean southern hospitality everyone's really nice and you know people up here in you know dc maryland virginia era they can be very um i don't know hard harsh mm-hmm. you know so everyone being so nice around there it was it was really new so i kind of was like hey back away <laughs> like, <laughs> what I, do you I want i got freaked out <laughs> yeah um no but it was great you know i had great teammates um i played with uh you know austin krychek Yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, he was on the team. I played with Jeff Dadamo, yeah. um, Alexis Clague. I played with a lot of great guys um, on the team. My first year was awesome. Um, when we played against Texas, the Longhorns, mm-hmm. my first year, I remember I had, a, I had a clinch for the doubles point. We had this amazing point, and we we uh, won the doubles. There was like about a thousand fans coming out to watch, and wow. it was so rowdy. It was it was one of the greatest feelings that I ever experience as well like in college um i don't know i just had i just i grew up with a big uh group of guys that really pushed me to go forward even like uh Krychek, he was always on me always hmm. i guess i don't know he was he was a really nice guy but my first year my first year was a it was a big change yeah and i imagine from the juniors and now it's it's a team game again and and yeah. you're with like upperclassmen and stuff but um, no, that's awesome. And, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what parts of your game you think improved the most as a result of playing college tennis? The doubles. Mm-hmm. Doubles has definitely, in, uh, improved dramatically. My volleys and obviously my serve. So, um, coming forward uh, for me, it was more offense in college. My offensive game improved dramatically. I always loved coming forward when I was in college and I think the maturity of like knowing where to go, when to go, you know, instead of just like junior tennis is kind of rolling the ball over, you know, so. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you, you just mentioned the, you know, the, that big match against Texas, um, but what's uh, maybe your fondest memory overall from your college tennis days? It was against, it was actually my junior year. We just switched to the SEC from the Big 12, mm-hmm. and we always, you know, played the Longhorns. You know, we always had, like, home and away matches with them in the Big 12. We weren't supposed to play the Longhorns at all, you know, because we never scheduled with it because they were kind of sour that we left the <laughs> Big 12. I mean, truthfully. <laughs> right, right. Um, but we played them in the NCAA second round. We were the 11 seed, the 10 seeds or something. We ended up playing Texas second round. So... Coach Steve Denton comes up to me after we won the doubles point. We won it pretty handily. He says to me, you're going to be the hero of the match. You're going to clinch this match for us. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking over at a couple matches. Our guy, number six, won uh, his first set 6-0 in like five minutes. The other guys are looking good. And I was like, no, nah, no, we're going to win easy, coach. What are you talking about? And this is, uh, let me tell you, I had the flu for a week already. So I didn't play tennis for the week before. And I was just feeling awful. I didn't I didn't play much. Like I, I didn't think I was gonna win my match. I had a tough match. Um so next thing you know, it's three all and it comes down to my match. 
And I'm having a full body count already by the end of the second set. I lose the first set easily, and I win the second set 7-6. 8-6 in the breaker or something crazy. Wow. I'm cramping up. My fingers cramping, my, my toes, my back, my hammies, my thighs. I'm basically having a full body cramp. And I just remember that I ended up pulling it out, even with everything that I was facing, like all the adversity. Like I had the whole crowd there watching. And obviously people watching online, like my old teammates, and I know the other sports were watching as well, like football, soccer, all those other sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember, you know, just I almost got broken every single game in the third set. <laughs> it always became do sad, do sad, but I ended up clinching and I ended up winning. And that was probably, that was the best feeling I ever had in my life. Wow. that That's awesome. And uh, is this the video that's on YouTube by any chance? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. That's the same video. Nice, nice. You pull them wide and on the uh, ad side, then you hit a uh, cross-court forehand winner. It's pretty sick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad that that's online. You can always refer to that and just remember. No, for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. And so, Junior, uh, you know, our audience always loves um, – uh, learning about drills and and obviously other like information to help their game, but I'm curious if you can remember maybe one or two of your favorite drills that you and uh, your teammates did um, in college, and to just like you know briefly describe them. Um, in college, it was um, they always used to do with the serve. It was a serve in the first ball, then the first volley. Hmm. Um, so we would just pick a spot on the serve hit it wherever we felt most comfortable hitting. First ball, we usually go down the line. We come in and hit the hit the next volley to the open court. And then it was usually just drills with the serves and ending with a volley. Those are those are the drills that I liked the most was, you know, trying to really dictate the point and give the guy no rhythm. And that's that's that was a big thing with our team. Excellent. And so now kind of shifting to the uh you know the pro game just kind of take us through like kind of you know the initial impression and like experience from transitioning to you know to the pro game and you know how maybe difficult it it was for you or you know easy (laughs) no i remember uh my first my first couple tournaments playing the pros let's just say that the approach you know how college college tennis could be really intense you know guys screaming constantly every point right. just again the guy's face well none of that garbage works in the in the pro game mm. the pro game it's about being more composed it's about being more it's more just you like in the pro game especially like in the lower levels like the futures and the challengers there's not many people watching you you know it's not you're yeah. not going to have that supportive the supportive teammates or the supportive people around you that you had in college like you maybe you may have one one person watching if you're lucky or that's like your your family member or your girlfriend usually you know right. so transitioning over that it's like it's like a big like eye opener like wow this is this is the real life this is the reality of the tennis game and you know that stuff that college players bring you know good constant come on come on it doesn't phase the other guys you know so i mean the big change for me was Learning, uh, learning to pick and choose when to, you know, celebrate my points. Um, you know, not letting the outside affect me. Like, shoot, like, where's my supportive cast? Like, no, it's 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 me on the court. It's me by myself. Mm-hmm. How it's always been on the court, and it's about me. You know, so that's 
it's really about that's what I learned mostly. I like switching over and um, being professional as as opposed to like in college, you could kind of get away with it, you know, just like with eating habits, you know, just or just kind of like hanging out with your teammates or not stretching enough. Mm-hmm. You really got to like those small things really matter in the pros, like how much you stretch, how like how much water you drank a night. Are you rolling hard? Like, what time are you going to bed? Like, you know, you don't, I don't have to worry about an exam the next day, like stuff like that. And I think that's, that was a big, that was a big change for me. That's really a fantastic analysis of, of the difference. And, um, clearly, uh, you know, I'm not near your level at all, but I did play, uh, just uh, the qualities of an ITF futures in Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was amazed. Uh, you know, more so than you would be, uh, just because you're a better player, but just like at the, you know, professionalism of the players and like how incredibly good they all are, uh, to me and, uh, just really a whole different level. And you have to be so dedicated, um, in order to reach the top. I mean, there's so many people that you have to just really believe in yourself and, and train uh, as hard as you can and be disciplined, like you mentioned, uh, to, to have a shot at it. But I'm curious too, you know, there's obviously futures and, and challengers all over the world as with the other tournaments on the pro tour, but how do you kind of pick and choose which ones you're going to play? Well, to be honest, um, I don't, I don't really pick and choose. Like I, as, as ever, I think everyone would know this around the world that playing in the U S is one of the toughest places to play Yeah, because you got, you got pros coming back from injury you know, that are in the area, everyone moves to the U.S. to train in the U.S. and to live in the U.S. like foreigners. So, I mean, I remember I played Peter Peter Polanski mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago or like a couple of months ago, and he, you know, was always on TV playing ATP events against Nadal and Federer. Like I saw like he played Verdasco like a month before I played him wow. and he's just getting back from injury, you know. So, I mean, I like to play the tougher matches because I feel like I get more enjoyment out of it. I like to, like, even if I lose or if I win, regardless, I love the competition. And I feel like eventually you're going to have to play the tougher players and you're going to have to beat them. So traveling to, like, random places like, what, like Egypt or, like, or somewhere in Africa, like Nigeria or something like that, or, you know, like Asia, like Japan. Like, I, I really don't believe of, I really don't believe that it's necessary to go that far just to chase points because I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that are chasing points out there you know mm-hmm. I just believe that if you got the stuff you got the stuff and if you don't then you know you're gonna have to pick a different path and that's just what I believe in yeah you know what I think that's a fantastic approach because I you know if eventually you know your, your aim is to be to get to the top and at some point you're gonna have to play you know, really good players and beat them. So why not just play them now and, you know, instead of just like try to rack up, I want to, I don't want to say phantom points, but you know, it's just different, you know, when you no, get, basically is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm planning a, a trip to uh, Zimbabwe to play a few so I can get a point, but it's <laughs> <laughs> different... no, completely okay, man. There's nothing wrong. With yeah. That. Get some points, man. Come on, get on the board now. <laughs> I know, I know, you know, it's different for me, but um, no, that's, that's awesome. And, um, you know, I do want to ask you too, I know it hasn't been too long for you, uh, on the futures tour, I guess, um, at least after college, but 
it's really hard to survive financially. And I guess if I may, I'm just curious, like how either you or maybe like people in general, like how how do they survive when like usually you're making like a few hundred bucks and you've got to pay like twice that amount to, for the travel and stuff? Like how does that even work? Well, the benefits of being a, a college athlete is um, after college, you know, you, you got diehard um, school fans that want to help you out. Awesome. So, I mean, those guys, they usually help out, you know, after you're done with college and they offer it, you know. Um, but as in, as in my in my um, in my situation, I'm actually in the transition of switching over to play for Peru wow. for for that for that sake. So I in Peru for me, like there's going to be there's going to be more funding. You know, I'm probably going to be one of the top guys there and they're going to they're going to fund me as much as I can because my coach right now Pablo Araya is actually the Davis Cup captain of Peru nice so I mean that's I already have a huge advantage there so he's helping me out you know with uh, everything down there in Peru and you know like Trey Huey I mean switch Norfolk to the Philippines right that was that was a huge move a huge move for him Mm -hmm. and I know a couple other guys that are doing that as well because you know the U.S. shoot you know how tough that is with all the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with all the top guys, you know, all Americans from college and the top juniors and all the ex-pros coming back, you know, and then the top dogs, obviously. But like, you know, like the other countries, you know, they're looking for guys like that. And I believe, you know, the, I'm lucky enough that Peru, you know, I have Peruvian descendant, like Peruvian blood, and right. I'm choosing that route. Right. No, I think that's a great, um, great choice. And you, you mentioned your uh, grandfather is in Peru right now, right? Yes, he is. Awesome. That's that's cool. So my next question for you is, I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, obviously it's been a debate for a while, but do you, I know like that the, the tour has been, it has increased the prize pools and stuff like that. But like in, in your view, do you think the prize pools for like the futures at least are, are sufficient and are they doing like, is it just a ground to weed out players or do you think that it, the the futures tournaments should pay out like more where it's a little more uh livable for the players well the thing is they're doing better with it now right. but it's, it's not where it can be you know it's you're if you're not winning the tournaments you're not breaking even right you know you're not you're not paying for the the prize money that you're getting from these tournaments you're not paying for the gas you're not paying for the hotel, you know, that's, that's why the sponsors come in. Cause in the beginning, it's more so just about points. It's not about, it's not really about the money, you know, it's, it's just really tough. I think they could do a better job with it and I think they will. So right now, I mean, it, it's, it's easy to say that, I mean, the money and the lower tournaments, it can be increased just like every other sport. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Right, uh, agreed. Agreed with that. Now, so another, uh, you know, type of experience type question for you is, let's go back to 
to when you got your first ATP point. Can you describe uh, which tournament that was and, you know, how the match went, and, you know, briefly, and then, like, how you felt afterwards? Huh. Uh, I think you were younger, too, right? Is that before college? Yeah, I was, like, 17 <laughs> or 18. I remember I played a – I don't know if you know his name. His name was Tennis Sangren. Yeah, I've heard of him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time, he was top ten in the world juniors, and he already had a couple points. And right now, he's about like two hundred, or mm-hmm. he's about like two hundred ATP, two fifty. Um, I actually qualified, and I saw that I play him first round, and he was a wild card. And I was like, wow, I already got a tough match because this guy beat me already before. And but it was on my favorite surface; it was on clay, so I feel like I had a pretty good shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going out there, and I. I was the underdog. I didn't have the pressure. He had all the pressure. And uh, I just came out. He he blasted me away in the first set, 6-2. Then I come back and win 6-1, 6-2. Wow. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just, for me, it was it, the ability to manage the pressure, the ability to block out all the negativity. You know, it's just to for me to say, hey, relax. It's just another match. You played him before. You know you got it. And then once I did that, like once I took a deep breath, that completely changed everything. And then he started freaking out because he hated the way I played. He was like, I hate lefties. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. I ate it up. So after I heard that, I knew I was going to win. And it was a huge win. <laughs> yeah, no, that I mean, that's a, a huge win. Yeah, like you just said. And so you talked about managing the pressure and things like that. And I am curious as well as, you know, obviously it's, that's tougher than it sounds. And do you do anything to train that? Like, for example, do you do, um, do you meditate or like, do you like do any sorts of like mental exercises with your coaches or like anything like that? Or is it just from playing? No, it's, I mean, it's some from playing, but I've, I'm learning, I'm still in the process of learning how to manage uh, my, um, managing the pressure a lot better. I actually, my coach, my coach always, Pablo always tells me, just to breathe, just take a deep breath, you know, because it's, it's like when I take short breaths, it's all nerves. And then when I take a deep breath and slow everything down, um, it actually works for me. So for me, it's, I need it. For me, it's a, taking a deep breath, taking a deep breath, just looking around, you know, looking around like what's real, you know, like, oh, like, look at the trees, like, where, where am I? What am I doing for a living instead of like working a nine to five job? I'm playing tennis, you know, and, and that all helps out. Like just, it just, for me, it comes down to the breathing and then it just relaxes my muscles and I'm able to play from there. That's fantastic. Well, everyone in the audience, you know, take note of what Junior just said about breathing and, and try the same technique when you're uh, dealing with tough times. And I'm sure that'll, you know, help your game, help you relax and focus on the process instead of, um, you know, the results, which will, you know, get you hung up a lot of times. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And and so, currently, Junior, do you train in Miami? Yes, I train in Key Biscayne. Okay. Oh, okay. Perfect. And so, uh, like, do you train at like a particular academy? Yeah, I actually train at Pablo Rise Academy in Creighton Park. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. And so, uh, are there any? Are there some other like ATP, WTA pros that you train with? Uh, I actually play with some guys. You know, like we're starting up guys that are um, that are just finished college, that are playing on the tour now. 
um, hooking up with players like that in the area and like Davis Cup players from like other countries like Ecuador, nice. um, like other places, Bolivia, like Peru, like those are the kind of players that I'm hitting with now, like upcoming guys from right. college. That sounds like a great environment. And um, another thing that our audience loves to hear about is like typical like day of practice. So I'm just wondering if you could maybe just go through that a bit, um, like say, you know, just a normal day of how many hours you hit and how many hours you like work on um, agility, for example, weights and stretching and stuff. Well, stretching is, is pretty important. I've been doing more stretching. I mean, that's I think that's like the main key to everything because mm-hmm. I, if you're not stretching, then you're going to get an injury. I mean, that's that's a big thing. Um, the main focus that I've been doing in my everyday is constantly getting criticized by my coaches. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, cause of my game style, it's, you know, I'm working on like certain things that, you know, I believe that guys are not doing enough anymore in these, uh, in these days. Um, like coming forward, you know, with a slice, you know, finishing at the net the ability to serve in volley, like you don't see that as much or a chip and charge off the return. Um, I've been working on more precision and perfection um, with my footwork and the using my body for rotation to, to get the maximum, maximum hit off, off my body. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Um, like biomechanical efficiency, basically. Yes. Right. Yes. That's exactly it. Right. And if I, I constantly, it's step by step. Like with I've been working with Chip Hooper and Pablo Araya, like I said, and it's it's been pretty tough. I go all day, literally. I start at eight in the morning. I finish at like four in the afternoon. Wow. Working, working on the specifics. Working on is this the right footwork? Am I taking the right step? So it's literally like playing piano. Like you do like the first three notes right, then you work on the fourth note, then you go to the fifth note. And then you start all over again. And you must if you mess up on the first note, you have to start over. Mm. So it's basically, you know, getting every step right before going to the next one. So and if I get that right, I have to start over again. So it's basically just constant repetition of perfection mm-hmm. of what what I need to do in order to work on my game to pers- that I that I know that will get me to the next level. And man, it's tough. <laughs> it's very, it's mentally tough, mentally tiring, but the results show. Definitely. No, I, I, I really appreciate that insight. And I mean, that's, that's how to do it, man. You know, you keep uh, repeating until it becomes second nature and then um, you're going to have amazing results. And so as well, I just was, I'm curious about your and your uh, coaching staff, like Coach Arise philosophy on uh, weights. Like, do you, use weights much or is it like mostly body uh body weight exercises if you do any of that or well to be honest we don't really believe in he doesn't really believe in heavy weights right we he believes in uh, agility and flexibility it's more so we we mostly do body weight so we it's body weight stuff yeah bands and just stretching constant stretching like i can't can't say it enough um, that's, I mean, I, I don't feel like that I need to gain another 20 pounds to get more power in the ball. Right. I'll just become slower. Exactly. I just, I just believe in, I need to be as flexible as I can to get the maximum of my body's abilities to 
do what I can with the ball. No, I mean, I really have to thank you for emphasizing stretching. Um, you know, we had, or I had uh, Alistair McCaw who worked with uh, Kevin Anderson, and he just mentioned that uh, how important stretching is and that he thinks that stretching was the biggest reason for uh, for Djokovic, uh, you know, rise to number one. It's just because he's so flexible and, you know, uh, balance so well on his shots. And, you know, again, he just said stretching is huge. And especially, I mean, you're not at this stage yet, but um, as you get older and stuff, like for the rest yeah. of our audience, like you got to keep stretching or you're, you're going to be on the physio table at some point. No, for sure. It's the guy, like you said, Djokovic, you never see the guy on balance. You always see him. He's out full stretched, but he's balanced. You know, hitting a winner from a full split, but it's balanced. Yeah, you know it's it's I can't yeah you can't emphasize it enough. It's stretching is I think is the major key that a lot of people are fading away from, I believe, and they just think it's heavy heavy weights. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And and so you you stretch with um with with bands most of the time. No, I stretch with I kind of do yoga stretching. Hmm. Um, yoga stretching is uh I think it's really beneficial, and I've been doing a lot of that. Cause it actually works out the little muscles a lot more and it's, it's tiring, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. No, I don't, I don't doubt that, man. It's, it's not easy. And so one thing I noticed, uh, in addition to you just being like, uh, amazingly nice and an awesome guy, uh, when we played is, is, oh, no worries. Is that, um, you know, you served in volley and you mentioned that as like uh, something that a lot of people, aren't um doing uh, on the tour and stuff that that can be very effective but i just wanted to make sure like do you normally serve in volley um in at least on the pro circuit or is that kind of something you're working on at that tournament or or was it you know do you do it all the time no i serve in volley i always mix it up but i always try to i always try to put that into my game uh i just feel like it keeps my opponent off balance yeah it keeps him guessing like, oh, what is he going to do next? Is he going to come in after the serve? Or is he going to stay back? Or can I hit it high or do I, do I dip it low? It just keeps him guessing. And, you know, it's just like in today's game, you don't really see that. Like you just see even like even the big servers, you just see them hitting big and then they stay back and they got an easy ball that could have been finished off with a volley. But they have an extra five shots that they have to hit before the point's over, you know. Exactly. No, I think that's that's great. You pointed out. I mean, because you just finish the point so much quicker, and you can you'll have a lot more energy to you know for the match if you because you, you, you're like maximum efficiency basically. Exactly. Um, and I mean, with a service huge as yours, why not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know. So, but uh, yeah, Junior. So like you know, obviously you have huge goals that I'm sure you're going to reach um, with your talent and hard work, but. Um, like moving forward at this stage in your career, like can you kind of talk about um, what you think you need to to do to reach the next level? Yeah, uh, just to, I mean, there's a lot of things really. Um, the major thing, like I've been saying, is stretching. Stretching, I, I can't do enough of. Um, dieting is actually really important, and I've been I actually been doing a lot better with dieting. I remember leaving A and M. I uh, after I was playing, I gained like another like 20 pounds. I was like 180. So I kind of had a gut. And luckily, luckily my girlfriend, she uh, she works with me with that, with dieting and stretching and all that stuff. 
I lost 20 pounds because I had a gut. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you know, I was kind of out of shape. I was kind of slow. And ever since then, like I've been eating, I've been eating as healthy as I, the healthiest I ever ate in my life. I've been eating organic stuff. Like I've been going to Whole Foods a whole bunch. Mm. And man, let me tell you, that's, that stuff is, is gold, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, I mean, for me working on my strengths, mm. like for example, my serve and the ability to finish in the net using my speed. Um, and working on the forehand, you know, working on the returns, working on the slice, like it's just, there's a lot of things I really need to work on. But, but for me, me particularly, it's the mentality, the mentality of, of, uh, believing I could be up there with the top guys. Yeah. I mean, that's where it all starts. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So the, that, I mean, that plays a huge role. And, um, those, I mean, those, those are going to help me get me to my goals really. Yeah, no, it definitely will. And just uh, a quick thing on the diet. I'm I'm curious, like, if you is there any particular diet you're you you're on or anything, or like, is there like you're are you maybe like not eating certain foods or anything like that, or is it just actually, like a clean thing? <laughs> um, it's funny you say that. My uh, my girlfriend actually really helps me out with that. She gives me the blood type the blood type diet. Oh, so. Uh, my blood type's O negative. Yeah, we get really specific. <laughs> so I'm O negative. So I I eat what works for me. Like French, like for example, French fries works better than than bread for my sake. Hmm. You know, so it's yeah, it's really weird, but it works. Like I feel more energy. Like I feel I've been feeling faster, stronger ever since I've been on this diet, and we've just been proceeding with the blood type diet ever since. Wow, now that that's really interesting, and I I don't know if I've really heard of the blood type diet, maybe like once or twice before, but I'm definitely gonna check that out because I mean everyone is different, and this diet makes sense to you know further put that point in perspective that you know certain foods work for certain people and stuff, and um, yeah, I mean I myself like actually like a few days before I played you I. You know, I was feeling really slow and sluggish. So I also kind of did the same where I, was, I made a huge commitment um, to my diet. And yeah, for me, like, I mean, it's not for everybody, but I actually am um, experimenting with uh, not eating uh, meat for a little while and just seeing how that helps my fitness and stuff. And, you know, it's not for everyone, but um, it's good to hear you uh, commit like that. Yeah, um, yeah for sure. And um, also just... Curious in general for our um, audience, our players, I guess, like all levels, but like what advice would you give our audience on how they can improve their tennis game? This, I mean, this is what I always, this is what, how I always approach it. You got to aim for the stars. No, wait, hold on, let me rephrase that. Aim for the stars and you'll hit the moon. Right. Basically meaning you have goals that you, that you always set for your life. But you have to always aim higher. You can't always, you know, if you're if your mind is set in college, just making it to a college on the tennis team, it's like okay, make the tennis team. But why don't you go higher? Why don't you, okay, why can't I be an all American in singles, in doubles, and eventually be number one for the team? Just goals like that. I feel like you know, just that keeps pushing you to improve constantly. And I feel like I don't know. I always approached it that way. Um, just always trying to excel, you know, my achievements. And I, f- and I feel like, I feel like I've done the same. For example, for me, I wanted to be a four year all American. Well, I was a two year all American 
and I wanted to be number one eventually, like all four years. Well, I was number one at least one of the four, one of the four years, you know. So I feel like if you have goals like that, you know, and just trying to excel over them and passing them, I, I just feel like the sky's the limit for anybody, you know, because anybody can do it. It's just how it just determines on how you approach it. Oh, that's that's beautifully put, Junior. I really appreciate that advice. Um, you know, the first step is goal setting, and the higher you set it, then the higher you'll reach. So it's, it's amazing. So, Junior, uh, you know, obviously you're playing the tour, and and uh, you're going to be playing a ton of tournaments and stuff. Um, what's uh, what's the next tournament for you? Uh, I'm actually going to go down to Peru and play one of the Peruvian tournaments down there. Um, try to get you know get my name recognized down over there in South America. After that, I'm going to go play. I play some 25Ks in Illinois. Nice. Yeah, possibly play a money money tournament in Richmond, Virginia, right before that. And I'm just trying to get ready for the the U.S. Open Nationals to get into the U.S. Open. So I'm just gonna be. I mean, all basically what my schedule is like. It's just get ready for the U.S. Open Nationals to get into the U.S. Open. Sweet, that's awesome. So where can our audience find you um, online or social media or whatnot if they want to follow you? Uh, just follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, junior or it's pretty you know it's pretty broad it's pretty out there um <laughs> yeah it's i'm not it's easy to find me let's just say that cool uh, awesome well any anything else you want to talk about on the show um no i mean I, I think i gave everything um i don't know if you have any more questions but yeah no i mean that's i mean there's so much to talk about i guess i don't want to take your time but i mean you you just touched upon so much uh amazing information i guess maybe okay one last question is moving forward how serious do you think uh or how much time do you think you're going to devote to doubles because you have a great game for doubles but i'm wondering if you think you're gonna kind of just see how it goes and play some doubles and, and go from there or are you just kind of more focused on singles no i'm actually focused on both um i've yeah my game style it works it works a lot for doubles and I actually had my biggest my biggest win in doubles. Actually, I beat I beat this guy that won Wimbledon. He beat the Bryden brothers in the finals. Jesus. And and his doubles partner was top hundred AT, is is top hundred ATP. So, I mean, moving forward with doubles, I, I I believe that I have the ability to be there right now. With singles, it's going to take some time, but I just I believe that I'll make it in both, just just as well. So yeah. I mean. Moving forward, I, I feel pretty confident in my singles and doubles ability. Yeah, you've got the game for it. Man, I wish, man, if you could, you and Tret could play one match together at least. I mean, that would be really cool because you're both lefties and stuff. No, I mean, I've, I've talked to, uh, you know, OG, right? In oh, yeah. I had him on the podcast actually uh, <laughs> a little while ago. Yeah. No, I just talked to him, you know, a couple of days ago. And I've been talking to Farshad. Um, yes. No, yeah, I I always want, yeah, I've, I got to catch up first before I could get there, but I don't think they, you know, I gotta, I gotta prove myself at that, at that level. But um, I like to beat Tret first before I play with him. So hopefully nice. he's still around when I come up there. And you know, it would, obviously he's got, he's got a heck of a serve and great hands, great hands at the net. And he's yeah. got a hell of a doubles partner too, Max Mirny. So yeah. <laughs> you know, so no, I'd love to get the chance to play with him one day. You know, eventually and represent like our Mid Atlantic. It'd be pretty sick. Yeah, man, I'll make some signs and like cheer like crazy for that one. Um, 
But yeah, no. Now that you asked me for questions, I think I got two more for you, if you don't mind. No, um, of course. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks so much. So one is, I'm curious uh, if you've read tennis books, and if so, like which couple would you recommend or as being most influential to your game? Uh, tennis books, uh, the Billie Jean King book. Hmm. I'd, I'd say, um, was it with the privilege? Yeah, I feel like that's a good one because I read, I actually didn't read the whole thing. I read a bit of it and I actually really liked what she had to say about, um, what tennis being a privilege or, and then, um, obviously the Agassiz book. I mean, Agassiz's book, it shows, it shows a guy that was in a struggle and then he just overcomes his own inner struggles and, I don't know. I feel like everyone has like their own like their own like negativity in their heads, and it kind of just shows on like well, how to overcome it with what the Agassi book. And I I don't know. I always found that I always found that like pretty pretty cool because you don't see a lot of badasses like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it's just sick because he said he didn't even like tennis, and he still accomplished all that. I mean, I don't. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly. Cool. No, it's he's he's uh, like I said, he's he's a pretty badass dude heck of a guy so a lot of people have trouble with discipline you know they they have the goals uh, they have dreams and stuff but at the end of the day they things distract them or they they can't commit themselves enough so uh, where would you say the discipline comes from for you how are you able to keep focused and and train it at such a high level for a long period of time well it just comes down to the question how bad do you want it Mm -hmm. you know how bad are you willing to make the sacrifice are you willing to make this make this a your job, you know, or do you want to just give up and just work a nine to five job? You know, it's just it just depends on the person. On it's just their willingness to sacrifice, their willingness to to give up. You know, hanging out with friends with the willingness to, you know, the having to stay away from home, family. You know, all that all those sort of things. It's it just really comes down to how bad do you want it. You know, it's kind of it's like, you know, how Conor McGregor says it's an obsession. Mm-hmm. I think he really he really hits that. You really have to make what you do an obsession. And I think that's the right way to approach it. No, that's perfect. Yeah. I also follow UFC and that guy is very entertaining, but he's, you know, obviously the top of the game. And, uh, you know, since you were five, you knew it and you've always been constantly working at it with a unparalleled drive. And I think that's. Uh, why you're where you're at today and you know i apologize for the sequence of questions because i I, you know in my mind i'm like this is the perfect way to end the (laughs) interview but (laughs) keep going and it's fun it's fun i love it yeah no thank you yeah i'm having a ton of fun but i'm also curious uh, you know learning from like the best do you have like a specific morning routine um like in place like generally like when you're training or whatnot like do you you know like say when you get out of bed do you immediately like i don't know go for a run i mean just for example do you have a routine <laughs> yeah i've been actually working on it with uh with pablo he's been trying to give me a routine and i i've been doing it every every morning i, I go out for a run nice i go out for a run before i start off like breakfast or anything i go for a run and i usually since like I'm a Roman Catholic, I usually give the cross and blow a kiss to the sky. Nice. And then, you know, I just run for 10 minutes and that's how I start off my day, literally. I just run and stretch out a little bit, just reevaluate and start off my day. That's awesome. I mean, 
I think just starting the morning off with uh, exercise for anyone is uh, it just gets your brain going and and muscles going and everything and and that's uh you know that's the right way to start off um, and you know also with your devotion to you know yourself and um, everything you believe in that's that's amazing. A couple of equipment questions, man. Everyone loves that. What uh, what sticks are you using right now, and also uh, what string? I'm using the Prince. Was it Warrior? What T1000 or something? It's the, <laughs> <laughs> it's the racket. It's the racket that uh, John John Isner uses. Okay. Yeah. So I just recently just switched to that because I was always with the Babolat Aero Pro Drive. Yeah. And I don't know. I felt like I was kind of because you know how the Aero Pro it's kind of thick and. Yeah, it, it doesn't go through the air as quickly. So I wanted a racket that goes through the air quickly, like the K Blade, but mm-hmm. has the same power as the Babolat. And Prince, you know, was kind of Prince's old rackets to O three, you know, with the holes. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't really like those, but I don't know. It was, it was really random because I just, I was running out of rackets and I was looking, I was looking to try out rackets and I was like, hey, why not try out Prince? So that's the kind of stick I'm using right now. And it's great. I got the same pop as a Babolat and it goes through the air quickly like the K-Blade. That's really cool, man, because uh, that's funny you mentioned that because, I mean, first off, I use the Aero Pro um, or the Pure Drive. I forgot the name already. But, um, and <laughs> <laughs> and it, it sometimes it feels clunky. I mean, yeah, you know, obviously it feels a little clunkier when, you you know, on days you lose. But um, nevertheless, uh yeah, I mean, I was thinking of switching as well, so I, I don't know, like, maybe I'll try out that Prince model. And were there any other ones that you that you liked, like, the, from other brands, like Wilson or another Babolat, that you might have tried too, or, or no? No, I didn't really try out any other rackets. Um, that was just, I literally just picked out the first racket I saw and fell in love with it. I don't know. I just got lucky. Yeah, that's, man, I'm jealous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. And then also, sorry, you're, uh, what's, what's string and what tension? Um, I, I use this print string, but I honestly don't know if they came out with it yet. It's a 15 oh. gauge. Yeah. It's a 15 gauge. It's like experimental. Wow. Cause like I've been popping strings like crazy and I asked the guy, Hey, um, I need strings at last. And he's like, Oh, don't worry. I'll get you some, some of this like experimental stuff. So he gave me like this string that I don't think it hasn't even come out yet. And oh man, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's like it lasts. It's like a, how you say, like a RPM Babolat mm-hmm. string, mm-hmm. but lasts like two or three times longer. Wow. So yeah, it's perfect. And what was the other question? Oh, what? the uh, the tension. Oh, I string it. I string it a lot looser now. I string it at forty five. Forty five. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, because we, I just had a guest on episode, I think eighteen of the podcast, and his name's Tim Strawn. He's a, a master racket technician who strung at uh, some of the grand slams and stuff, and he was saying that like a lot of people really string it like a lot higher than they should and they should experiment like even in like the 40s and things like that so it's it's good to hear you kind of reinforce that that definitely may be possible and a good choice and even for somebody with a lot of power like you you're still stringing it in the 40s um, oh yeah no i actually been told like i've been told the same thing like i was stringing my record not too long ago at 55 56 and pablo raya and chip chip hooper they both told me hey you got to string at 45 you know it's that's i don't know it's just it's looser you know you get more power off the ball you know it's i don't know it's it's a lot better like it's like um it works let's just say it works i don't know how but it works <laughs> wow 
That's awesome, yes. man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, switching gears slightly, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you, I mean, you probably know like the Peruvian uh, professional players, but I, I'm curious, like as it stands right now, um, would you be like kind of in the top, uh, t- one of the top players there? Uh, I mean, like who else is up there like in front yeah. of you? Um, well, there's some guys, I don't know if you would know them, but I already beat the number one guy Nice. at a future. His name is Mauricio Echezu. He's an older mm-hmm. guy. He's about like 27 or so, mm-hmm. 26 and there's some young guys as well. Um, they're all they're all about in the, like, let's say in the six hundreds. It's they're they're pretty good guys. They're good guys. They're pretty solid. They're clay quarters, obviously. But um, I just feel like I'm just better. Like I just feel like I'm better singles and doubles wise. Like I come I come with more firepower than they do. Right. Because um, they they play a different way down there in South America. You know, kick serves and just grind. Yeah. Work with angles, and I'm. I'm over here just blasting Sarah's and coming in, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a completely different ball game, but, uh, no, I feel like if I was to join the team right now, I'd, I'd be number one. That's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have great success. I mean, they're going to be really surprised, uh, facing a game like yours, um, as most people are. And so like, what is your favorite surface, um, hardcore or actually, you know, which one is it right now? Well, ever since my game style has changed, it's it used to be clay, but it's hard. Okay. I really like the hard courts. I like the faster hard courts, and eventually I'd love to play on grass. Yeah, yeah, no, that would be pretty awesome. I'm sure you will eventually. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and so when you mentioned like the you the getting ready for like the U.S. Open Nationals and stuff, like, are you going to play other of those sectional events, or like, how does that that one work for that? Well, that one, that one's like the last one to play, you know, like that one's at New Haven. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really, I just recently started working with Chip Hooper. Um, yeah. I mean, this guy, he's beating, he's beating like uh, McEnroe, Borg, Becker, like he's beating all these guys, Damn. you know? Yeah, no, he's, this guy's a stud <laughs> and like, he really like, he took me in with Pablo and I just need a for like the next month or so. I'm really going to be working on my specifics so that I can be ready for that um, for the U.S. Open Nationals. It's more so preparation for me right now, and then I can play the tournaments later. Awesome. And so internally, like, is your main goal right now to be like? Did you set it to be like? number one in the world or do you have like uh is your goal lower than that right now or what what are you thinking right you know as far well, as goal? well as of like what i want to do in the future let's say like in the next yeah in the next five years where where do you want to be well within the next five years i want to i want to be in the pan-american games nice. which is going to be in peru and then obviously eventually play the olympics um you know, for, for that, for my country, for real, you know? Um, and then in five years, I'm going to be, to be playing all the grand slams being top 50. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're, I think you're going to get there, man. So if there's one key to succeeding on the pro tour, what would you say that is? Cause with all the, you know, amazing players, like, you know, already like that hundreds of players that are, you know, great players, like, what do you think, is the key to wading, you know, th- those waters and and coming out on the top. Managing your anxiety, managing your negativity, whatever holds you back, whatever makes you, you know, second guess yourself. 
it's managing that stuff. And I feel like if you're able to manage that stuff, the sky's the limit. Right. I mean, I love that quote. And I, you know, I think the biggest thing I'm going to take away from this interview, besides the uh, sock exercise, which I'm going to start immediately after, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is just the, the Conor McGregor quote you mentioned about making it an obsession. You really have to just hardwire into your brain that, you know, this is my goal. This is what I want. And I'm, I'm going to get it. For sure. Um, you know? Yep. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's why I think you're going to do huge things as you already have been doing. Um, and Junior, you know, I just want to, um, give you just huge props. I mean, you know, several things. First off, when I met you at the, uh, US Open, uh, sexual, uh, qualifier tournament, you were just, uh, nothing but class, you know, very respectable, you know, person and you respected me and, uh, you know, even though you're such a great player and, and instance, you know, for today, uh, I I was trying to arrange the interview with Junior, and he was so nice to do the interview, even though his own team, you know, Peru, they played Colombia today in the uh, was is the Copa Americana? I forgot the name yeah. of the. <laughs> it's it's American Cup. It's like the uh, Cup of the Americas. Right, right, yeah, and I mean they they were in like the twentieth minute, and then. You know, Junior is still so kind enough to you know do the interview. Um, so I'm sure he's, he's excited to find out what the what the result was. But um, you know, Junior is such a great player, and it, it's just been a pleasure uh, seeing you grow up, uh, Junior, from from age like seven. You know, when you're just a little guy to you know becoming a, a grown man and and just you know crushing it and impressing all of us and uh, making us proud. So, uh, you know, thanks so much for giving us, you know, all the knowledge that you have and that, that's made you successful and it's going to really help our audience uh, succeed as well. So we, we all look forward to all your uh, successes coming up and wish you nothing but the best. Uh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. It's always fun to uh, talk to one of the guys that I looked up to, you know, playing when I was growing up. I'll always have time for you, you know that. So. No, it's just great to catch up and be on your podcast. Uh, thanks for having me on it. Thanks, Junior. It's, it's a huge pleasure and honor. So, um, you know, all the best to you and uh, you take care of yourself. All right. Thanks, man. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Junior Orr. It was a real pleasure speaking with Junior and also seeing him at the uh, US Open Sectional Qualifier Tournament a couple weeks ago. I was lucky enough to get a few games against him and... I was even luckier to have interviewed him on this podcast because he had a lot of uh, really amazing and helpful advice for all of us that we can implement in our games to play better tennis. I'd really appreciate it if you guys would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, whether you subscribe on iTunes or any other podcast app that you use to listen to the show. Uh, with iTunes, you can just go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes and click on the blue view and iTunes button and then uh, hit subscribe. And I'd also appreciate it if you guys uh, would leave some feedback about the show as well. Um, review and comment uh, is always helpful for me to get a better understanding of, you know, whether I'm doing a good job or whether, uh, you know, this is all just terrible. <laughs> um, but no, I appreciate any feedback. And I just would like to close the show, as I often do, with a quote. And this quote is straight from Junior Orr, our special guest for today, uh, and originally uh, said by Les Brown. And the quote, again, is, Shoot for the moon 
And if you miss, you will still be among the stars. So shoot high, have high goals, uh, know that you can achieve a lot. And if you aim high and, you know, even if you fall short, you will still perform uh, at a very high and respectable and fantastic level. So cheers to you guys. Thanks so much for listening uh, to this fantastic episode with Junior Orr. And I wish you all the best. Keep improving. Uh, keep challenging yourself. And I know you're going to all enjoy the game of tennis for a lifetime. Uh, thanks so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.